Before we uh, get into the message this morning, uh, isn't it great to see these kids? This is just outstanding. Those are not just your kids, folks. Those are your future. Amen? Amen. We're going to talk about that this morning. Uh, But just before we get into the message, you know, I think there's three great blessings in the life of a man. I would say the first, obviously, is God. Amen. The second, I would say, is others. You know, family and friends. Third, what do you think third is? Anybody want to guess? I think, puppies, I think it's God, others, family and friends. I think third is bacon. Okay? So, so hallelujah. Preach it. There's a, there's a pig farmer in the back. Uh, so, no, here, in all seriousness, listen, listen, men, listen. You know, I'm in a lot of different churches. I've been in churches all over the place. We don't need better churches. We need better men. We get better men, we'll have better churches. And uh, so men's breakfast this Saturday, there's a start. Get with other men who are on the same faith journey as you and can strengthen you and encourage you. And you'll have all three of those on Saturday. God will be there. Others will be there. Your spiritual family, maybe biological family and friends will be there. And the third thing is bacon. Yeah, bacon, okay. So sign up. Wives, go ahead and elbow your husband right now, okay? You know, go ahead and elbow him. Open your Bibles to Ruth chapter 2 as we continue in our journey through the book of Ruth. This amazing book, this typology of our Redeemer who will be forthcoming, we see written, scribed here in the pages of the Old Testament. Absolutely brilliant. And we get to chapter two. My message title this morning is a real mensch. How many know that term, mensch? Ever heard that term before? A few of you have. Very good. I'll get to what the term means. But I'm talking about a real mensch. It's interesting that this landed the Sunday before your men's breakfast. So Ruth chapter two, hear the word of the Lord. We're going to read the first eight verses. Follow along, if you would. This is God's Word. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz come from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back, from Na- came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Amen and amen. In the opening verse that we read this morning, Boaz is described as a worthy man. Did you notice that? 
a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech. He's a part of this larger family of Elimelech. Naomi and Ruth have returned to Bethlehem. Naomi is a widow. Ruth is her daughter-in-law who is a Moabite. And so they've come back to Bethlehem and they are vulnerable women in a society where women are extremely vulnerable. They have no financial resources. They are there and they've got to figure this out. And so Ruth says, I'm going to go to the field of Boaz and I will follow after the reapers, which is a very common thing in that uh, time and place in the world. And so after the harvest, you can go and sort of scrounge for the leftovers. And she says to Naomi, that's what I'm going to do. And Naomi says, go ahead, go my daughter. And that's what she goes and does. And then Boaz arrives at the field and she's out in the field uh, picking up the scraps, if you will. That's how our story unfolds. But as it opens, we read that Boaz is a worthy man. Now the question we might say, is worthy of what? Now, the Hebrew word here is a difficult word. It has a wide range of meanings, so it's hard to get the nuance. But in the ESV, the translation I read from, it reads as worthy. Now, there's synonyms if you study the word, mighty, warrior, able, hero. But if you study the Bible at all to try and get the context of something, what something means, you look at the neighborhood in which it lives. So the wider context. And in Proverbs 31.10, the feminine equivalent of this word is used, and it means noble with respect to character. It means that Boaz is a mensch. Now, mensch is a Yiddish word. I love Yiddish words. I was in the jewelry business, uh, for several years, and a lot of the people in the jewelry business are Jewish people, and uh, they use Yiddish words, and so you're saying, I don't know any Yiddish words, but you do. You absolutely do know Yiddish words. Uh, klotz. You know that word? That person's a klotz. What's it mean? You're kind of clumsy, right? You're kind of, you know, klotz. Tchotchke. Have you ever heard that term? It's a very common one we use in the jewelry business. Tchotchke, you know what it means? Knickknacks. He went and bought a tchotchke. You got all these tchotchkes. What are you going to do with all these tchotchkes? Tchotchke, the little knickknacks and things you put on your shelves. When I take people to Israel, they buy tchotchkes. You know, little souvenir things, right? So that's another Yiddish word. Schlep. Schlep. It doesn't actually mean a person. It means like you're carrying stuff around. Like I'm going to, why did you buy that? You're going to have to schlep it around all day long. It's a great word. I love it. I love the Jewish people. I just, I just am so engaged by them, right? Glitch. That's a Yiddish word. You know, something goes wrong. Oh, we got a little glitch in it. Schmooze. You're schmoozing them. Why are you schmoozing them? Yeah, it means to, you know, kind of talk up and try and build a relationship, right? But mensch, that's our focus today. Mensch. Being a real mensch. It's nothing less than character and rectitude and integrity. It's a sense of what is right and what is responsible. So I want you to remember this morning, men especially, and men can be used for women as well, but men especially, I want you to remember to be a mensch. My father used to tell me as a boy, be a mensch. I would hear that over and over again. Be a mensch. And let your kids and your grandkids see that you are a mensch, a real mensch, a man of integrity and a man of honor. So I want us to look this morning at why Boaz 
is worthy of being called a true mensch, a real mensch, a man of integrity and honor. And I want to give you a few principles this morning, men and women, about being that kind of a person, a real mensch, a person of honor, a person of integrity, and what that looks like. So let me give you the first principle this morning. Look, if you will, to verse number four. We already read it, but let me just touch on it again. Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. The first principle is, is to be a mensch, you are a person of consistency. Consistency, a person of consistency. Boaz is a man of means, right? He owns land, he has farms and field, he has hired men. And in verse four, he shows up at the company. You know, when the boss shows up, Ever had that when the boss shows up? There's a show, right, about bosses that dress up as a worker, you know? What's that called? Did anybody ever watch that show? Undercover, Undercover boss, yeah. You know, and then, oh, they're all shocked, right? But most people, when the boss shows up, they're a bit terrified, right? You know, what kind of mood is the boss going to be in today? That's not the case here with Boaz. You see, when he shows up, the Lord be with you. And immediately the workers chime back, the Lord bless you. His personal godliness permeates his company, his environment. And see what he says to his staff? The Lord be with you. And they respond accordingly. Accordingly, Very few things, when I was a pastor, very few things were of greater encouragement to me than I would meet somebody out in the community and... Uh, they would say, so, you know, what do you do? I'm a pastor, you know. And I would say, well, I'm a pastor, which would cause them to say, did I say a bad word in the last five sentences? <laughs> right? It's always kind of funny. So uh, I'd say, oh, where are you a pastor? I'd say, oh, yeah, yeah. Do you know so-and-so in your church is my boss? Uh, I work for so-and-so or I work with so-and-so from your... And I just want you to know that, man, I, they're serious about this whole Jesus thing. Or their faith is really important to them. Or the company that they, this man or woman leads, I don't fully understand their, sort of, their deal, but they lead it in a way that's very consistent. By, flip the coin over, I have met Christian businessmen who have said this to me, and it breaks my heart when I hear it. There's business, and there's church. And I'm like, no, there isn't. There's the Christian life, and it's all-encompassing. It permeates every piece of our being. You cannot compartmentalize the Christian life. Lots do. They do it to great disaster. As a Christian, there is only one life. There's no compartments to your life, right? That's the bedrock of evangelism, if you want to know. That's why we become ineffective in evangelism. If our neighbor sees us every Sunday morning, oh, there goes the Smith family. You know, they're, they get their Bibles, they're off to church. Yeah, what time? yeah, they're off to church. And we look very churchy on Sunday, but that Christian love and commitment does not permeate our life on Monday, our evangelistic efforts will ring incredibly hollow. You have to be consistent, right? You have to be consistent. 
In all seriousness, what would people say to you that are your coworkers you go to school with, are your neighbors? What would they say are the three most important things in your, their life? Whenever I, one of the things I do is I, I help churches find staff and pastors, and that's a big part of what I do. And one of the things I always require of anybody that I want to know about is I ask them for two references that are not believers. Because I want to know what a non-believer thinks of that person, especially if they claim to earn their living by way of the gospel. Well, what's important to that person? What are the three things you'd say are important? Well, their garden is really important, and their schnauzer is really important. I'm hoping you get to God at some point here. Right? Well, what, what would others say is really important to you? And are you consistent in every area of your life? I love this quote by James Crook. He says this, If you want to lead the orchestra, you must turn your back on the crowd. You can't, you can't always say, oh, I just got to fit in and give in. You have to live a life. There is no doubt amongst the farmhands of Boaz what he was committed to. In the synagogue foyer, he was committed to the same thing he was when he was standing out in the field. How about you? Do you have that level of consistency? Are we consistent? Sometimes we need to take a stand instead of just sitting around. Amen? We need to take a stand. Second thing, if you want to be a real mensch, a mensch is a person of obedience. Look at verse 6. And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman. This is as he's responding to Boaz, wanting to know who she is, who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and continued from the morning until now, except for a short rest. A mensch is a person of obedience. Obedience to what? To truth. To truth. Deuteronomy 24, 19. Let me give you... A reference to tie this back, you can write that down. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. In other words, you harvest your field and you look back and you say, oh, there's a few things still lying around there. We could, No, no, Deuteronomy, the law here says, you don't go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the person who's passing through, the person who's disconnected, the fatherless and the widow. Naomi and Ruth, fall in that camp, Right? that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. And you may say, well, it wasn't really Boaz that let the girl, let Ruth harvest. It was actually the foreman that let her harvest. He, he was committed to the law of Deuteronomy 24, 19, but Boaz, he wasn't even there. But listen, <laughs> there is no way that foreman would have allowed her to do that, would allow her to go back through the field if he thought his boss was going to be dead against it. Because when Boaz showed up, he, if he thought Boaz was going to blow a gasket over it, he would never let her out there. Or he would have yelled, get out of the field, when he saw Boaz coming from the other way. He knew that Boaz would be deeply committed to that. In fact, I, I expect this, this foreman, the reason why he's a foreman, is he's likely went through several harvest seasons with Boaz. And he's seen Boaz open his field to the traveler, to the orphan, to the widow. And again, this is where the character of consistency comes in. 
And, and we see that this foreman says, well, Boaz is committed to honoring God, and he's committed to truth and walking of obedience. Sure, you can go harvest, because I know when he shows up, he'll be totally cool with it. And listen to this, folks. Our obedience to God has massive residual effect, and compromise kills our testimony. It kills it. Kills it. One time I was in the uh, Chicago airport. I'd been traveling, and uh, I was in line to get on the plane. Everybody, they said, okay, you can line up. We're going to be boarding. So every, And we just line up, and the girl comes on, and she says, folks, I am sorry to say this. We have a significant technical problem with the aircraft. This is like 7 at night, and we are, this flight is going to have to be canceled, and you'll have to go down to the, I forget who it was, what airline it was, go down to the customer service desk, which is down the concourse, and they will rebook you. Well, you can imagine how happy people were. Unhappy and crabby and angry. And so I went down, everybody, so everybody raced down, you know, like, so, you know, like I was pushing old women out of the way to... No, but you know what it's like. It's chaos, right? Everybody's trying to get down there, and people the language. People are mad. They're angry. And we get down there, and these poor people working at the counter, they're, you know, they're getting chewed out by every customer. And I'm in the line and, uh, and uh, standing there, and there's another man in front of me, and we get talking, and I said, oh, I just hate when these staff members get chewed out like they went out and broke the airplane. You know, we're talking. And so, and on my shoulder woman behind me taps, and I turn, and she goes, are you Pastor Steve Adams? This is in the Chicago airport. That depends. No. I said, yeah, as a matter of fact, I am. She goes, oh, it's good to hear you talk that way. I've been in your church. This is in the Chicago airport. So we got to be consistent. Now, full disclosure, there's times when I'm blowing it massively blowing it, even with my own kids. And they look at me and go, oh, my dad's paid to be good. He should be better than that. Right? But that kills us. But see, Boaz, he's consistent here. He's consistent to the truth of God's word. Thirdly, a mensch is a person, guys, listen up, who is sensitive. Right? We're living in this, you know, testosterone-fueled reality sometimes. It's not a wimp. You stand up and be a man, be a man, but you are sensitive. That's part of integrity and honor. And sensitivity comes first by way of listening. And the servant who was in charge told him, right? This is who she is. She came, she's continued, she's the Moabite girl that came back. Boaz, he hears the story. And look at Boaz immediately could say, she's a Moabite. Well, they're not even welcome here. But he doesn't. He says, She's a Moabite, and she is way outside of her comfort zone. And she's here with Naomi, and the, the word around town is Naomi has come back to Bethlehem, and she looks haggard and worn out, and she has aged exponentially. And here's her daughter-in-law, and you know what? Life is probably really tough. And she's here because she has obviously no means to provide for herself and protect herself. He could have stopped the hired man as soon as she said, as soon as he said she's a Moabite. But he listened to the full explanation. He listened and he also heard. G.K. Chesterton, the great British thinker, said there's a lot of difference between listening and hearing. My wife tells me that. 
Well, you may have heard it, but you weren't listening. She's right. Hearing is simply receiving the data, right? It's a physiological reality. I heard it. Listening is when we take what we've heard, we internalize it, and we ponder it. It's conscious. Go ahead and tell me, I am listening. I want to hear what you say. In fact, in John chapter 9, we get a great story. Remember that story? It's the story of a blind beggar, and he's given sight by Jesus. And and, uh, it's just a beautiful story. But it causes a big upset because Jesus does it on the Sabbath. And so all these religious zealots, you know, are coming after him. And the Pharisees are, you know, who who was the guy that did this? And they don't like the answer. So they go a second time and they ask, who did this? And Jesus answered, listen to this. He answered them and he said, I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You're going to hear the same thing again, but you're not listening. You're not internalizing the reality of what I am doing. And lots of times with our interaction with people, we hear, but we don't really listen. And Boaz starts verse 8. It's beautiful. He says in the beginning, now listen, my daughter. Not just hear this, but listen to what I'm about to tell you. My field, you are welcome here. You will be safe here. There's provision for you here. And then we see the second part of how you uh, be a mensch and how you be sensitive is you choose your words wisely because words mean something. Now, we live in a world where words are thrown around carelessly and often caustically. We also live in a world of disproportionate reaction. Have you ever noticed that? Where somebody says something sort of offhandedly, there's not really the, the, you know, there's not the time to think about it. And uh, I'm very careful. I learned a long time ago when when I preach, sometimes people come up to me at the end of a service and they want to ask me some theological thing, you know, what do you think about this? They've thought about that for 19 months. They want me to come up with the answer in 19 seconds. So I'm not going to do that and sort of throw something out, you know. One time I was speaking to a big crowd in a seminar. There's probably 100 people in this seminar. And I'm teaching, and a woman puts her hand up, and she says, yeah, my uh, poodle died. Well, I see it in heaven. And you could tell the whole crowd kind of went like this, you know, because it was like way off topic. And to try and dispel that, I said, I saw a movie once called All Dogs Go to Heaven, so I think so. And there was a bit of giggling. Ten minutes later, another hand goes up. Yes, I, I just want to take you to some, a couple of scriptures in regards to dogs in heaven. I was like, oh boy. Yeah. Now, certain dogs will be in heaven, but there's some of those little yippy ones, not a chance. <clears throat> <laughs> The husbands are clapping. (laughs) Sorry, I digress. We live in a world where people do disproportionately react. We've got to be careful with our words. People say silly, shallow things. The ocean is very deep, but even the ocean has a shore. Right? So sometimes we're going to say things. Let me give you a Hebrew word for flippancy. Okay, Facebook. (laughs) 
stops trading in secondhand thinking on social media. Stop it, stop it, stop it. And stop saying things that are just going to incite people. I, I, you know, I'm a Christian, and I have a whole bunch of friends on Facebook, and I don't say anything negative towards the church and towards other Christians because half of my friends are not Christians. And I don't want them to read that tripe, that garbage about banging against other churches and banging against other believers. You know, the church is the bride of Christ, and he loves it, and he died for it. Hold it up with all of its idiosyncrasies, with all of its failures. Hold it up, because it's the glorious bride of Jesus. And don't use silly, casual nonsense. Amen. This isn't a perfect church. If it was, they wouldn't have invited me. We know that. But Temple Baptist Church is an expression of the bride of Christ in Sarnia, Ontario. Praise be to God. Amen? So let's be careful with our words. Uh, our kids growing up in our home, we had certain sayings in our home that our kids still can recite today. One of the most significant ones was this, build and encourage. So they'd say something about their brother or their sister. And Cheryl, my wife, or I would say, did that build and encourage? No. Build and encourage because the world's designed to tear people down. So build and encourage. Use your words sensitively, right? Let us be quick to hear, the book of James tells us. Slow to speak and even slower to what? Anger. Absolutely. Well done. Next, a mensch is a person who is generous. Look at verse 8. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean another field or leave this one, but keep close to my women. Let your eyes be on this field. Everything you need is here. I've told the man not to go near you and not to try and, you know, hey, honey, that kind of stuff. And, and if you need something to drink, we've got water jugs over here. You help yourself. Boaz is generous. What would the use of your time, your money, your energy say about your generosity? You know, my heart breaks. My heart is crushed when I go to speak at a church. And before I get up to preach, some nice person gets up and has to beg people to serve in kids' ministry. Or beg people to help out in youth ministry. You know, lots of people can give away their stuff. But really, the ultimate measure of a mensch is when you give away yourself. I'm going to give you my time. It's the most valuable thing you have. You can make more money. You can't make more time. Okay? Only you can give you to others. Be generous. Be generous. Boaz not only gives Ruth his stuff, he's actually going to give himself to Ruth. We see that farther on, probably next Sunday. Next, a mensch is a person who is protective. A mensch is a person who is protective. You know, see the second part of verse 9 there, have I not charged the men not to touch you? You know, there's a bunch of rugged farmhands out in the field. They're rugged guys, right? And, you know, the, there's unsolicited catcalls to these young women, I'm sure, that are widows, sojourners, catcalls and probably worse, right? Advances that are unwelcome. But Boaz laid down the law. Don't you say anything to that woman. Don't touch that woman. Don't go near that woman. You treat that woman as you would your sister or your mother or better. Right? If 
I get a report that she has been mistreated, when I used to live in the South, they used to say this, there's going to be a reckoning. There's going to be a reckoning. If your daddy tells you that in the South, there's going to be a reckoning. It's trouble. Boaz protects her physically. He knows that this gleaning is arduous work. This is tough work, right? Tough work. One of the things I'm very fascinated about is shepherding. Shepherding. Because of the vivid biblical imagery of it. And I've traveled to many countries in the world where shepherding is still very common practice. In fact, Father's Day is coming up. Wives, kids, you want to buy your dad a great devotional book? Or women, uh, Tim Laniac. Tim Laniac, While Shepherds Watch Their Sheep. The devotional. He wrote a book called While Shepherds Watch Their Sheep, but get the devotional. Tim Laniac is a professor uh, at Gordon-Conwell Seminary, and he took a year sabbatical and lived with shepherds in the Middle East, him and his son. Very interesting book. The whole visual reality of shepherding and what that means to us will just come alive. It's a great devotional book. But the greatest, most insidious danger for the shepherd is the wolf, right? It's the wolf. The shepherd herds the sheep into the pen for protection at night, and night falls, and this contest begins. These wolves are cunning and daring. And here's the real problem, right? The desert is a natural home for sheep, and it's a natural home for wolves, right? And stealthily at night, the wolves move in unnoticed, and then all of a sudden they grab a lamb before it can even get out a bleat. But a vigilant shepherd, he prevails. And there are wolves that coexist in our world here in Sarnia, quite naturally coexist here. The internet lives in your home, can exist there very naturally. It can be a wolf. Some of the TV shows, they're wolves. A cultural worldview that in many cases has turned sin into sitcoms is a wolf. And when all of this is poured into those little lambs that you tuck into bed at night, one morning you will realize your lamb is gone. That a wolf has come. And you didn't even realize it. Parents, you must be vigilant. You must be protective. So by summary, let me say this, a mensch, let me give this back to you, a mensch is consistent, obedient, sensitive, generous, and protective. The ultimate mensch was a man named Jesus. A man named Jesus. Boaz is a real mensch, and he's a picture, friends, of the coming Messiah. Theologians call this a type. A type is a shadow cast on the pages of the Old Testament And the truth of that shadow will be fully embodied in the New Testament. And if you are here today and you feel like you need consistency and obedience by way of truth and sensitivity and generosity and protection in your life, sadly, Boaz is long dead. But the good news is Jesus is alive. And he's the ultimate, the kinsman redeemer. Listen, guys. We need some men who will view the Christian life as the great race that they're going to finish and keep running no matter how tough, how difficult, and leave behind a legacy. Be a real mensch. Be a real man. 
for God's glory. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. Father God, we love you. Thank you for examples in our journey like Boaz, for his strength of character, his commitment to your word, his generosity, his consistency, his protectiveness of the vulnerable. May we live as men like that, be a real mensch, a man of integrity and honor and dependability and stand for what is right for the glory of the name of Jesus. Amen.